Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Good evening. By pressing play, you've unlocked a door with the key of imagination. Beyond is another dimension, a dimension of sound, a dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. Welcome to Agoraphobia, the Agora Podcast Network's spooktacular month of ghoulishly engaging content Celebrating the spirit of the Halloween season. So turn on all the lights, check all the closets and cupboards, look under the beds, and continue, if you dare. This week's first tale is brought to you by Chris Stewart, captain of the History of China podcast, who navigates through troubled waters in order to present you with a dramatic reading of the H.P. Lovecraft story, Dagon. I am writing this under an appreciable mental strain, since by tonight I shall be no more. Penniless and at the end of my supply of the drug which alone makes life endurable, I can bear the torture no longer and I shall cast myself from this garret window into the squalid street below. Do not think from my slavery to morphine that I am a weakling or a degenerate. When you have read these hastily scrawled pages, you may guess, though never fully realize, why it is that I must have forgetfulness or death. It was in one of the most open and least frequented parts of the broad Pacific that the packet of which I was supercargo fell a victim to the German Sea Raider. The Great War was then at its very beginning, and the ocean forces of the Hun had not completely sunk to their later degradation, so that our vessel was made a legitimate prize, whilst we of her crew were treated with all the fairness and consideration due to us as naval prisoners. So liberal indeed was the discipline of our captors, that five days after we were taken, I managed to escape alone, in a small boat with water and provisions for a good length of time. When I finally found myself adrift and free, I had but little idea of my surroundings. Never a competent navigator, I could only guess vaguely by the sun and stars that I was somewhere south of the equator. Of the longitude I knew nothing, and no island or coastline was in sight. The weather kept fair, and for uncounted days I drifted aimlessly beneath the scorching sun, 
waiting either for some passing ship or to be cast on the shores of some habitable land. But neither ship nor land appeared, and I began to despair in my solitude upon the heaving vastness of the unbroken blue. The change happened whilst I slept. Its details I shall never know. For my slumber, though troubled and dream-infested, was continuous. When at last I awaked, it was to discover myself half-sucked into a slimy expanse of hellish black mire which extended about me in monotonous undulations as far as I could see, and in which my boat lay grounded some distance away. Though one might well imagine that my first sensation would be of wonder at so prodigious and unexpected a transformation of scenery, I was in reality more horrified than astonished. For there was in the air and in the rotting soil a sinister quality that chilled me to the very core. The region was putrid with the carcasses of decaying fish and of other less describable things which I saw protruding from the nasty mud of the unending plain. Perhaps I should not hope to convey in mere words what the unutterable hideousness that can dwell in absolute silence and barren immensity. There was nothing within hearing, and nothing in sight save a vast stretch of black slime. Yet the very completeness of the stillness and the homogeneity of the landscape oppressed me with a nauseating fear. The sun was blazing down from a sky which seemed to me almost black in its cloudless cruelty, as though reflecting the inky marsh beneath my feet. As I crawled into the stranded boat, I realized that only one theory could explain my position. Through some unprecedented volcanic upheaval, a portion of the ocean floor must have been thrown to the surface, exposing regions for which innumerable millions of years had lain hidden under unfathomable watery depths. So great was the extent of the new land which had risen beneath me that I could not detect the faintest noise of the surging ocean, strain my ears as I might. Nor were there any sea-fowl to prey upon the dead things. For several hours I sat thinking or brooding in the boat, which lay upon its side and afforded a slight shade as the sun moved across the heavens. As the day progressed, the ground lost some of its stickiness, and it seemed likely to dry sufficiently for traveling purposes in a short time. That night I slept but little, and the next day I made for myself a pack containing food and water, preparatory to an overland journey in search of the vanished sea and possible rescue. On the third morning, I found the soil dry enough to walk upon with ease. The odor of the fish was maddening, but I was too much concerned with graver things to mind so slight an evil and set out boldly for an unknown goal. All day I forged steadily westward, guided by a faraway hummock which rose higher than any other elevation on the rolling desert. That night I encamped, and on the following day still traveled toward the hummock, though that object seemed scarcely nearer than when I'd first espied it. By the fourth evening I attained the base of the mound, which turned out to be much higher than it had appeared from a distance an intervening valley setting it out in sharper relief from the general surface. Too weary to ascend, I slept in the shadow of the hill. I know not why my dreams were so wild that night, 
But here the waning and fantastically gibbous moon had risen far above the eastern plain. I was awake in a cold perspiration, determined to sleep no more. Such visions as I had experienced were too much for me to endure again. And in the glow of the moon, I saw how unwise I had been to travel by day. Without the glare of the parching sun, my journey would have cost me less energy. Indeed, I now felt quite able to perform the ascent which had deterred me at sunset. Picking up my pack, I started for the crest of the eminence. I have said that the unbroken monotony of the rolling plain was a source of vague horror to me. But I think my horror was greater when I gained the summit of the mound and looked down the other side into an immeasurable pit or canyon whose black recesses the moon had not yet soared high enough to illuminate. I felt myself on the edge of the world, peering over the rim into a fathomless chaos of eternal night. Through my terror ran curious reminiscences of Paradise Lost and of Satan's hideous climb through the unfashioned realms of darkness. As the moon climbed higher in the sky, I began to see that the slopes of the valley were not quite so perpendicular as I had imagined. Ledges and outcroppings of rock afforded fairly easy footholds for a descent, whilst after a drop of a few hundred feet, the declivity became very gradual. Urged on by an impulse which I cannot definitely analyze, I scrambled with difficulty down the rocks and stood on the gentler slope beneath, gazing into the Stygian deeps where no light had yet penetrated. All at once, my attention was captured by a vast and singular object on the opposite slope, which rose steeply about a hundred yards ahead of me, an object that gleamed whitely in the newly bestowed rays of the ascending moon. That it was merely a gigantic piece of stone, I soon assured myself, but I was conscious of a distinct impression that its contour and position were not altogether the work of nature. A closer scrutiny filled me with sensations I cannot express, for despite its enormous magnitude and its position in an abyss which had yawned at the bottom of the sea since the world was young, I perceived beyond a doubt that the strange object was a well-shaped monolith whose massive bulk had known the worksmanship and perhaps the worship of living and thinking creatures. Dazed and frightened, yet not without a certain thrill of the scientist's or archaeologist's delight, I examined my surroundings more closely. The moon, now near the zenith, shone weirdly and vividly above the towering steeps that hemmed in the chasm, and revealed the fact that a far-flung body of water flowed at the bottom winding out of sight in both directions and almost lapping my feet as I stood on the slope. Across the chasm, the wavelets washed the base of the Cyclopean monolith, on whose surface I could now trace both inscriptions and crude sculptures. The writing was in a system of hieroglyphics unknown to me, and unlike anything I had ever seen in books, consisting for the most part of conventionalized aquatic symbols such as fishes, eels, octopi, crustaceans, mollusks, whales, and the like. Several characters obviously represented marine things which are unknown to the modern world, but whose decomposing forms I had observed on the ocean-risen plain. It was the pictorial carving, however, that did most to hold me spellbound. Plainly visible across the interweaving water on account of their enormous size, 
were an array of bas-reliefs whose subject would have excited the envy of Adore. I think that these things were supposed to depict men? At least a certain sort of men. Though the creatures were shown disporting like fishes into the waters of some marine grotto, or paying homage to some monolithic shrine which appeared to be under the waves as well. Of their faces and forms I dare not speak in detail, for the mere remembrance makes me grow faint. Grotesque beyond the imagination of a Poe or a Bulwer, they were damnably human in general outline, despite webbed hands and feet, shockingly wide and flabby lips, glassy, bulging eyes, and other features less pleasant to recall. Curiously enough, they seemed to have been chiseled badly out of proportion with their scenic background, for one of the creatures was shown in the act of killing a whale, represented as but little larger than himself. I remarked, as I say, their grotesqueness and their strange size, but in a moment decided that they were merely the imaginary gods of some primitive fishing or seafaring tribe, some tribe whose last descendant had perished eras before the ancestors of the Piltdown or Neanderthal man was born. Awestruck at this unexpected glimpse into a past beyond the comprehension of the most daring anthropologist, I stood, musing, whilst the moon cast queer reflections on the silent channel before me. Then, suddenly, I saw it. With only a slight turning to mark its rise to the surface, the thing slid into view above the dark waters. Vast, polyphemus-like, and loathsome, it darted like a stupendous monster of nightmares to the monolith about which it flung its gigantic scaly arms. The while it bowed its hideous head and gave vent to certain measured sounds. I think I went mad then. Of my frantic ascent of the slope and cliff, and of my delirious journey back to the stranded boat, I, I remember little. I believe I sang a great deal, and laughed oddly, when I was unable to sing. I have indistinct recollections of a great storm sometime after I reached the boat. At any rate, I know that I heard peals of thunder and other tones which nature utters only in her wildest moods. When I came out of the shadows, I was in a San Francisco hospital, brought thither by the captain of the American ship which had picked up my boat in mid-ocean. In my delirium, I had said much, but found that my words had been given scant attention. Of any land upheaval in the Pacific, my rescuers knew nothing. Nor did I deem it necessary to insist upon a thing which I knew they could not believe. Once I sought out a celebrated ethnologist and amused him with peculiar questions regarding the ancient Philistine legend of Dagon, the fish god. But soon, perceiving that he was hopelessly conventional, I did not press my inquiries. It is at night, especially when the moon is gibbous and waning, that I see the thing. I tried morphine. But the drug has given only transient surcease and has drawn me into its clutches as a hopeless slave. So now I am to end it all. Having written a full account, 
for the information or the contemptuous amusement of my fellow man. Often I ask myself if it could not all have been a pure phantasm, a mere freak of fever as I lay sunstricken and raving in the open boat after my escape from the German man-of-war. This I ask myself. But ever does there come before me a hideously vivid vision in reply. I cannot think of the deep sea without shuddering at the nameless things that may at this very moment be crawling and floundering on its slimy bed, worshipping their ancient stone idols and carving their own detestable likenesses on submarine obelisks of water-soaked granite. I dream of a day when they may rise above the billows to drag down in their reeking talons the remnants of puny, war-exhausted mankind. Of a day when the land shall sink and the dark ocean floor shall ascend amidst universal pandemonium. The end is near. I, I heard a noise at the door, as if some immense slippery body lumbering against it it shall not find me. God, that hand. The window! The window! Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. While in this October, dreary, you're enjoying tales so eerie from many a quaint and curious podcast about forgotten lore. With your Bluetooth gently flashing, suddenly 
you're a-gasping. Worrying, this home of horror haunted is running out of the content you adore. Fear not, for here comes the raven, bringing you some more. Good morning, recruit. Welcome to your first day in the largest army that ever existed. I have the distinct misfortune of being your training instructor. Now come on, move, chop chop. I know metamorphosis is tough, but you're slower than molasses in January. Now come on. No more cushy life of a larva, being fed whenever you're hungry, and no more lazing around as a pupa. <laughs> it's time to earn your keep. You're a worker now, hun. Now move with a sense of urgency. It's time for your tour of our own little slice of the suck. Gods, you must be the poorest excuse for an Argentine ant I have ever seen. Now move, move, move! What, you think you're a male? You're gonna sprout wings any second and do nothing but mate all day? Nope. You're a female, one of billions. So, let's get this work done. We're counting on you and other recruits like you, to keep us at the top where we belong. Gods help us. First stop. This is one of our many queens. There's one for about every 120 workers like us. So don't distract her. She has 60 eggs to lay before the day is done, and if she wants something, she'll take it. She gets to eat nearly 300 times the amount you do. So, if she's peckish, you give her what she wants. That's not to say that she's in charge, mind you. Us workers are in control around here. You'll see what I mean a little later. You had the good fortune of emerging in May. What I like to call assassination season. So, if you see a queen, give her what she wants, but um, uh, don't get too attached. Moving on to the next chamber, more queens, more eggs. Eggs are our future, so you guard them with your pathetic life. You hear me? You also need to keep them clean. It's humid down here, and if you don't keep them spick and span with a fresh coat of saliva, the fungus gets on them, and then I get on you. You hear me? Over here are some of the larvae. Like the eggs, we keep them in dispersed clumps all over the nest. It keeps the enemy guessing. You see a larva that's hungry? You feed it. I don't care if you're missing an eye and all six of your legs, you feed the damn thing. Proceeding. Over here's the garbage dump. This is where the workers on trash duty get rid of our waste. You look like you belong here, made for trash duty, but for some reason, we designated you as a recruit. Now, I'm stuck with you. Anyway, come over here and check out this dead worker. Wave your little antennae all over it. Now over me. Smell that? I'm giving off the sweet, sweet smell of a living kick-ass war ant. And that poor schmuck isn't. That's how you know who's dead and who's alive. If they're dead, you drop them off here. They've served, and off to the midden heap they go. Other things that come to the dump. Old food, feces, other workers that are looking kind of rough. We can't have them spreading diseases around here, you know. So, 
I hope you have your big girl pants on because it's time to leave the nest for the first time. Oh, so cute. Okay, enough gawking. Now move. Time for you to see one of our greatest accomplishments. It's distant second to being the most badass army the world has ever seen. But first, now that you're out of the nest, you need to learn how to follow trails. Now, look behind you. That bulbous thing that you call an ass, I call a gaster. When you find a trail, yes, wave those little antennae around and find one. I'm sure you can do it. Smell that? Gives your feet a little tingle? That trail is made by a worker. One more ambitious than you. She bumped her gaster along the ground when she went out, leaving a scent trail that she can follow back to the nest. If she finds something, she lays down even more scent on her way back. That way, we know where the goodies are. Hey, you listening? I know my voice is beautiful, but you better not go drifting off. Trail smells good, right? Strong enough that even a new recruit like you can follow it. That's because it leads to the ranch. We've been caring for these aphids and scale insects for years. So move with purpose. I only have a month to live, and I don't intend to spend it babysitting you. Since we have ways to walk, I'll give you a little history lesson. Tell you the story of how we became the awesome superpower that we are. Way back in the 1800s, all the Argentine ants lived along the same river, the Parana. We had colonies back then, but nothing like today. They were small, pathetically small, like a few hundred thousand ants. Then our founding mother queen somehow made her way onto a ship carrying coffee from Brazil to New Orleans. When she arrived, she laid her eggs, and slowly, season after season, we took over. We were forged in war with the other ants in South America. But the North American ants never knew what hit them. We wiped them out, ate all their larvae, moved into their nests. We made our way over the years here to California. From here, we honored that founding queen by boarding ships and moving all over the world. Our colony stretches most of Europe, Japan, New Zealand, Australia, and all over the U.S. It's called a super colony, but I feel like it doesn't really capture it. When you cover thousands of square kilometers and multiple continents, super doesn't really cut it. So, thank your lucky stars, you were born an LH1. Not just the largest ant colony, but the largest society to have ever existed. When I say that, I'm not exaggerating. We easily outnumber the humans. Egypt, China, Rome, the UK, they got nothing on us. Remember, you don't need technology if you can catch a ride. And you have numbers. Numbers are all that matter. And you, little miss, have a lot to live up to. Okay, look alive. We're at the ranch. Up here are citrus trees. We have aphids and scale insects. These squishy little balls of sugar are one of our secrets to success. They have these fiddly little mouth parts that act like a straw. They stick them into the plant and suck out the sap. 
The sap is almost entirely sugar and water, but like us, they need protein too. So they keep drinking away, sifting out the proteins and pooping out the extra sugar water. For us, more sugar is more energy. More energy means we can fight more and take more land. If we're ever low on foraging, we can rely on these little guys for food. Looks like this branch we're on is about sucked dry, so grab that aphid. I'll show you where to move it to to get the best supply of sugar. Okay, good job. You might turn into something worthwhile after all. Just stick with me, you know? Now, that little aphid is on a tender spot on the leaf, and you just give him a little second to attach. Then, you give him a little massage with your antennae, and see that little droplet that came out of the flutes on its back end? Pure honeydew sweetness. Eat up, recruit. And quickly. We don't have time for you to stand around all day getting tender with the livestock. Now that that's done, it's time for you to get your mandibles bloody. We're heading out to the hunting grounds. Maybe you have more of a killer instinct than you look. All right. You found what we call a recruitment trail. Don't smile at me, recruit. Even a blind pig finds an acorn once in a while. Now let's see if you can follow it for more than a meter. Hmm. We're getting awfully close to the front line of the Civil War, so keep your antennae up for any alarm pheromones. Or for any Argentine ant that is not an LH-1. You'll be able to tell. They smell rank. They call themselves the Lake Hodges Super Colony, but they're much smaller than us, about 11 square kilometers. While they're comparatively a tiny colony, don't be fooled. Our sisters in Spain and Japan aren't going to come save your ass. Our fight is here, and only those of us on the front line are going to be here to save you. We've been fighting with them for years, and the battle lines haven't changed much since it started. You want to keep your head and your legs attached to your brand new shiny body? You respect the enemy and listen to everything I tell you without question. Heads up. Here's one now. Stay alert. But I don't think she's long for this world. See how she stinks? You can tell she's not one of us. Ugh, they did a number on her. Antennae ripped out, two legs gone, one dangling. Woof. <laughs> but take a hard look. That's what war looks like. Except multiplied by about 30 million. Yeah. That's how many workers get killed here every year. So don't get cute and don't think you're special. Now come on. She's already dead. And we need to bring back some food to the nest. Tonight is a big night. All right, we made it to the end of the trail. Oh, wow, they made a great find. When it's time for you to come out foraging, you remember this. Birds are big. Don't be intimidated. You're a soldier in the greatest army the world has ever seen. And that is a baby bird. It doesn't even have its eyes open yet. And this, this right here, is the real secret of the LH-1 success. We are ruthless, and we eat everything. You start turning up your antennae at things, or 
find food while you're foraging and then let it get stolen by some other colony. And you hurt our numbers. It's not about size. It's about numbers. Now quit gawking and grab a chunk. Let's move this thing from bird's nest to an ant's nest, you know what I mean? Jeez, that chunk of bird isn't even that heavy. I wasn't sure you were going to make it back to the nest. Now give it to that other worker. It's time for you to do what you were born to do. Kill other ants. You see, most of the time, we need more queens than a nest that's further from the front line. As we win ground, we need extra queens that will take some workers with them and start new nests in our new territory. Well, that hasn't quite worked out for us, and we haven't gained enough ground. So, we have too many queens in this nest. Ones like your momsies over there. Queens put out pheromones that affect the way the eggs develop. If you have a lot of old queens, they make it so that you don't get any new queens. You see, the problem is old frumpies like your mom don't make enough eggs. And what do I keep telling you? It's all about numbers. We are the colony of the dominant species on Earth because of numbers. Recruit, it's time for your mom to go. What are you waiting for? A royal invitation? Now! Go kill her! As soon as you attack, more workers will join you. Now go, go, go! I'll grab her front leg. You grab the back and pull. Pull! She's weak from not getting as much food as normal. So take some damn pride in your work and rip her leg off. That's it. I feel it coming loose. Yeah, there you go. No, you're not done yet! Bite her! Tear her open! You got it. <laughs> Nicely done. We've made a killer out of you yet, recruit. Yeah. Damn, I'm good at my job. Now go grab some of those larvae over there. A queen's made out of a lot of meat, and we can't have her going to waste. Set them by the corpse. Yeah. Yeah, they'll make short work out of her. Well, look at those two. They're just diving right into her head. Damn. Should I tell them? She's probably their mom, too. Ooh, vicious little buggers. Okay, that's one queen down. Let's look and see how the other assassinations are going. Rise and sign. Get up, get up, get up. Yesterday was a busy day of killing queens. But there are no weekends when you're at war. You ten recruits, come with me. It's time to get over to the front line and kill, kill, kill them all. They probably spent their night murdering their moms too. So don't think you have a monopoly on being a badass. Now march! Ah, I love the smell of alarm pheromones in the morning. We're getting closer to the front. Now, ignore all the dead bodies. There will be a lot more before the day is through, so you better keep your antennae up and your eyes peeled. The battle is already raging. Be ready to go as soon as you catch a whiff of those foul lake hodges freaks. There's the battle. Go, go, go! Focus on the enemy soldiers that are already being attacked. Bend your gaster. Smear it on the enemy. The chemicals are irritants. If enough of you do it, she won't be able to move. Clamp down on her mandibles. Pull! Pull! Pull them apart! Legs, heads, bodies. It doesn't matter. Grab a chunk and pull! Oh, dear lord. There's a huge wave of them headed right this way. We need to retreat! Retreat! Come on! We need to alert the nest! Fall back! Fall back! Come on! Come on! Watch out! There's some up ahead. They've broken through the lines to the south. We've been routed. You, 
Throw yourself into the enemy's mouth so she can't get the rest of us. That's it. You three. Surround her. Grab. And one, two, three. Pull! Come on, we need to get back to the nest before they do. No. They're already at the entrance. You two stay out here and defend the entrance. You four, come inside with me. We need to move the young and the queens to a safer part of the nest, just in case they force their way inside. Damn, they must have come through another entrance. They're already inside. We have to move the brood now. Go, go, go. Queen, let's go. Everyone, in here. Grab an egg. Grab a larvae. Move. I can smell them. They're pushing their way closer. We need to get the brood out of here. The attacks are happening in the tunnels. It's time to evacuate. We'll move the queen and the broods to another nest. Farther from the front. No, that way is blocked. Go the other way. There's more invaders down there. We can push past them. They're busy eating some of the newborns they found. Come on. Push through. Keep moving. Damn. Another exit blocked. How did they move so fast? They have us surrounded. Drop the brood. Defend the queen. If we can get her out of this fight, it isn't lost. There's more coming on your left. No. On your right. They have the queen. Ah, oh, one's got me. Uh, recruits, do something. Save her. Uh. Hello, Agoraphobia fans. I'm Raven Forrest for Scalzo, the host of Tiny Vampires, a podcast about disease, science, and blood-sucking insects. What you just heard is a dramatization of one of the battlefronts on the deadliest war in history. While this whole thing is fiction, the facts are mostly true. These super colonies of Argentine ants have been fighting for years. While the LH1 ants kill their California neighbors on sight, or to be more accurate, on scent, they would happily join any of the other LH1 nests in the world be it in California or somewhere over in Japan. Argentine ants are not just the largest society, but are also one of the world's worst invasive species. They wipe out native ants, eating their young and stealing their nests. They kill and eat a range of insects, spiders, and even, as you heard in the story, baby birds. Their ability to farm aphids and other plant pests means that they are also problems for food growers. I have to say, when I learned that there was a war going on beneath my feet, resulting in 30 million deaths a year, I found it pretty scary. If you want to discover more about the incredible world of insects and disease, while also learning some wild science along the way, subscribe to Tiny Vampires, where basically it's always Halloween. A warm welcome back to those of you who made it back, and a little bit of advice to take with you before you go. Not all knowledge is safe, and some things you can't unhear. The smartest of you will count your blessings and stay clear of dark corners and dangerous downloads. But those of you more daring who laugh in the face of fear will undoubtedly be back like a moth drawn to the flame for the next installment of Agoraphobia.
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen.